You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Twelve Rites of Passage by Paula Graves, also known as Anne Haynes. Chapter 11, Resurrection. Fox Mulder's Apartment, February 18, 1998, 8.44 p.m. Mulder stared into Scully's wide eyes, searching for a sign that would tell him it was okay to believe. She had so long been his touchstone. He found that now, in this most important of moments, he couldn't allow himself to believe until he saw it in her eyes as well. She gazed back at him, tears making her eyes glitter in the low light from the lamp by the window. I asked the Chandlers to let me borrow Sarah's childhood photo album. She was presenting him with evidence, he realized. In true Scully fashion, she was giving him the assurance he needed. This is real. Scully has proof. His hands began to shake. She gently took the folder from his hands and put it on the coffee table. She returned her hands to his, folding her fingers over his trembling ones. I know this is hard to take in. He shook his head, remembering another time when he'd let himself believe. Are we sure it's her? Are we sure it's not another? I believe that Sarah Chandler is your sister, Mulder. Scully's voice was calm, firm, and low. I believe that the evidence in this case points to that fact. I believe that once we find her, DNA tests will prove that fact to everyone's satisfaction. Her words wrapped themselves around him, holding him steady, keeping him from flying apart. How? How did she? How will? He shut his mouth, realizing that he couldn't utter a sensible statement right now. Mulder, I don't know why your sister was taken in the first place. I don't know if it was what Carter Christopher told you, a way to keep your father in line. But I believe that the reason she was taken this time was because her memories of being Samantha Mulder were beginning to return. Do you remember that journal I told you that Sarah Chandler kept? The one that her friend Ann Milliken let me read? He nodded, his neck feeling stiff and creaky. One of the impressions she had was of a boy. She said the boy was someone she trusted, but also someone at whom she was angry. He made fun of her. Mulder closed his eyes, guilt washing over him in a wave. The last thing I said to her, Scully squeezed his arm. She said he was someone she loved, too. But listen to me, Mulder. Something has been nagging at me ever since I saw that picture of Sarah as a child. Something she wrote in the margin of her journal. What? Was that his voice? That strangled, scratchy sound? She wrote, I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham, he murmured. His stomach ached. Would you eat them with a fox? Scully said softly. Mulder wrapped his arms around his stomach, rocking gently, his mind in the past. Samantha yelling at the top of her lungs, screaming the Dr. Seuss rhyme over and over until he was ready to throttle her. I'm afraid. She touched his cheek. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid to believe it's her. Because you don't know where she is? Because I gave up on her. He closed his eyes. I gave up on her, Scully. I'm afraid to believe she's out there needing me, and I gave up on her, just like before. 
before, before when you spent years sacrificing everything in your life to your quest to find your sister? Scully cupped his chin in her hand and made him open his eyes and look at her. Mulder, in my whole life, I have never known anyone as passionate and dedicated to a single goal as you have been. The idea of Samantha still being alive would seem like the height of implausibility to almost anyone else. Like you? She flinched as if he'd struck her. She dropped her hand to her lap. Yes, like me. He shook his head. You never let me give up, Scully. Even this time, you tried to talk me out of it. I wanted to believe, for your sake. She looked away from him. But I never did, not really. He studied her downcast face, surprised by the guilt he saw in her expression. Did she think she'd failed him? Could she possibly believe that? It was enough that you wanted to believe, Scully. That was all I needed to know, that you wanted to believe she was alive. She met his eyes. I did want that. I wanted her to be alive more than I can tell you. And when I saw that picture, she gestured toward the folder on the coffee table. All I could think is that I'd found her for you. It felt like the most significant thing I'd ever accomplished. He wanted to pull her into his arms and show her how much her unflagging loyalty meant to him, but he didn't trust himself. He was afraid that if he touched her now, he'd never be able to let her go. He was afraid he'd consume her, swallow her whole with his need. He clenched his hands in his lap. I was ready to give her up. A wry laugh escaped his throat. My timing was always shitty. Mulder, you can't blame yourself. You just can't. But he did. He'd lost his faith, and now he was being punished for his apostasy. He'd been shown a glimpse of the prize, then had it snatched away from him. They have her, don't they, Scully? The ones who took her in the first place. I think so. I think they're doing something to erase her memories. Scully sounded acutely uncomfortable uttering those words. Like what happened to you in Idaho at Ellen's Air Force Base. You said you saw something, but they took the memory from you. You didn't believe me then, Scully. I believe you now. He smiled, touching her cheek with the tip of his forefinger. No, you believe in me. She nodded. I also believe that whatever it is they're doing to your sister right now, they intend to keep her alive, maybe even return her to her life as Sarah Chandler. But will they let her live now? Mulder asked, his heart thudding with anxiety. They have to know you went to Charleston, that you may well know her true identity. She sighed. He could see the truth in her eyes. Yes. Do you think they'll kill her? Once again, he found himself looking into her eyes for permission to believe. Mulder, they let her live this long for a reason. I imagine that reason still exists. She sounded as if she were explaining something very obvious. He took comfort in her certainty. If they think it's dangerous to return her to life as Sarah Chandler, they'll probably create another cover story for her. But I don't believe they'll kill her after all this time. He didn't have that kind of optimism, so he borrowed hers for a little while. Later, he could wonder and agonize with fear, but right now, he wanted to be happy that his sister was alive. We have to go find her, Scully. Scully's brow creased. How? 
We know who she is now, but we still don't know where she is. I've got Pendrell working on tracking down that logo I remembered. He passed his hand over his jaw, stunned for a second to feel how smooth it was. He was used to having beard stubble by this time of night, but he'd showered and shaved only a couple of hours ago, anticipating Scully's arrival. He'd also picked up Thai takeout that was growing cold on the stove, not to mention indulged in an embarrassing display of unoriginality by digging out a Barry White CD. He'd had plans for a very different sort of evening. But now there were more pressing concerns. There's got to be something we can do. Is there anyone you can contact? He considered the question for a moment. No, no one I trust anymore. Raven never told me how to contact her. She just had her people knock me over the head and throw me in the back of a van. She smiled wryly. I could go stand on the street corner and see if history repeats itself. No. He knew she was kidding, but he shuddered anyway, remembering the agonizing hours he'd spent waiting to hear from her after her call to him had been cut off. You told Pendrell to call as soon as you found something? Yes. Mulder, I know you want to do something, but right now there's nothing to do. She could be anywhere. She might be across the country or across the world. We have to work with the clues we have. Maybe there was something in her emails to you? I didn't save them, Mulder. She looked away from him. But I don't remember anything that would give us a clue. He closed his eyes, fighting a keen sense of disappointment. I called Ann Milliken from Charleston, Scully added. She's overnighting Sar Samantha's journal to us. I gave her our account number and asked her to send it for earliest delivery, so it will be here by 8.30 at the latest. She really had covered all the bases, he realized, but it grated on his nerves that he couldn't do something. He needed to take action. His sister was alive and she needed him. Scully reached out and closed her hands over his. I know this is frustrating for you, but we've done everything we can for now. She was right. He sighed and tried to relax. You said the Chandler sent photos? She crossed to her overnight bag and pulled out a vinyl-bound photo album. She handed it to him and sat next to him on the sofa, tucking her legs up under her and sliding her arm across the back of the sofa behind him. She enfolded him with her warmth, and he gave himself over to the secure sensation of it for a moment. He let the guilt and the fear seep away, replaced by the heady joy of knowing that his sister was somewhere out there, alive and waiting for him to come get her. He took a deep breath and opened the photo album. New York City, 9.12 p.m. This is a grave situation. Everything we've worked for could be lost. The thin, cadaverous man that Raven knew only as Mr. Howard paced near the window. Outside, rain was falling lightly, softening and refracting the lights of the city until they sparkled like Christmas lights. For a second, Raven thought about home, a place where she had not been for more years than she could remember. Michigan was much farther away than it appeared on the map, light years away. What is the worst case scenario? Ray Leone asked. The heavy-set man looked old and tired. The past few days had taken a heavy toll. His son, she was told, was inconsolable. They had not yet discovered Lee McGraw's treachery, thankfully. Perhaps, if Raven was lucky, they never would. 
She was playing a dangerous game, she knew. She couldn't boast of some noble higher cause. Her motives were purely personal, purely a matter of vengeance. She didn't have the power to bring them down from the outside, but from the inside. Worst case scenario, Mr. Mulder and his lovely partner find Miss Mulder before she is ready to be returned. Carter Christopher glanced across the room at the man in the corner of the room. Raven had never heard him called by name. He was generally referred to as our associate in Washington. She called him Black Lung. Black Lung lifted his cigarette to his lips and sucked in a lungful of smoke. Obviously, she cannot be returned to her present identity. We were already taking steps to give her a new identity. She will be relocated. Can we take that risk? Mr. Howard asked. Mr. Glenn pulled off his glasses and put down the file he was perusing. We should have terminated her 23 years ago. Mr. James put down his cup of coffee. I agree. Why not give her back to her brother? Black Lung took another draw on his cigarette. He exhaled, obscuring his face with smoke. Give her back? Mr. Howard gaped at the smoking man. Complete the memory wipe and give her back. She will remember nothing of her experiences after her abduction 25 years ago. She will remember nothing of her more recent abduction either, and Mr. Mulder will have no reason to continue his search for the truth. Carter Christopher stood and crossed the room slowly. He was a thin man, but he exuded a presence like no other man Raven had ever known. It was to Black Lung's credit that he hardly flinched. Surely you know that Mr. Mulder has a second obsession that will not end with the return of his sister. Black Lung calmly took a last draw on his cigarette. He crushed the butt in the nearby ashtray and exhaled slowly. I am aware of Mr. Mulder's more recent attachments, Mr. Christopher. I am also aware that a man like Mr. Mulder is single-minded in his attentions. I suspect that were we to give him what he spent his adult life searching for, his other attachments may well be weakened, and that will benefit us all. Carter stepped back, his eyes narrowing slightly. Do you really think he would turn his back on his partner after the sacrifice he made before? Blacklung shrugged. He never meant to give up either of them. And knowing young Mulder's propensity for guilt, I doubt he'd make the same sacrifice twice. Then you don't know young Mulder, Raven thought. Then again, men were obtuse about things like love and fidelity. They were always the last to know. But she knew. She had seen. No, Carter said finally. She is too great a risk. Take steps to terminate her as soon as possible. Leave no evidence and the facility must be shut down permanently. He turned his back to Black Lung and poured himself a snifter of brandy so he didn't see the glare of pure hatred Black Lung shot his way. But Raven did, and she recognized it for what it was. It wasn't defiance. Black Lung would follow his orders because he was a good soldier. He understood the notion of sacrifice for the greater good. But he would hate Carter for the rest of his life for what he was being forced to do. Like all good enforcers, Black Lung had learned how to compartmentalize his feelings. 
but that didn't mean he didn't have them. Samantha Mulder meant something to him, and though he'd kill her, it would haunt him for the rest of his life. Fool, she thought. Stupid fool. Luckily, she was not as good a soldier as people supposed. Her loyalties lay somewhere none of them would suspect. She crossed to Carter. I'm going home, unless you need me for anything else. He met her open gaze, his face softening. He had real affection for her, she knew. It gave her a perverted sense of satisfaction. Yes, my dear, I have no further need of you tonight. She slipped from the room quietly, confident that the other men would hardly notice her departure. They were of the old school. They tolerated the presence of a woman in their midst because Carter was a powerful man, but they thought her to be of no consequence, which is exactly how she preferred it. She caught a cab at the corner and gave the driver her home address, but after she was certain she was several blocks from prying eyes, she changed her destination. The cab turned at the next corner and headed for JFK Airport. Psy Crime Lab, FBI Headquarters, 9.34 p.m. Alan Pendrell tapped down the cursor, scrolling through the trademark database in search of the logo Dana Scully had faxed to him. He'd gone through the current files with his customary thoroughness and come up with nothing. He'd now backdated about five years to see if the logo could be something that was out of date. He had the lights low as he worked at the computer. No reason for the mood lighting. He just felt the occasion called for it. He was working on an X-file, after all. He had to admit to a secret thrill at being there in the mostly deserted building late in the evening, working hard to crack a case that was obviously a big deal to Dana Scully and her partner. He almost felt like a real field agent. Agent Alan Pendrell, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Who died and made you eager beaver? The low drawl almost made him jump out of his skin. He whirled around and met the amused gaze of Anel Hollis. You scared the life out of me, he scolded. Anel grinned and crossed to the cubicle next to him. She grabbed a swivel-backed chair and sat. How can that be, Alan? Obviously, you have no life. Do you know what time it is? He frowned at her, torn between annoyance at the interruption and curiosity at the sight of her out of her work clothes. She looked very different. Her hair, loose from its usual neat chignon, fell thick and dark to her shoulders. She had lost the business suit with the cut-too-large jacket, opting for a soft black sweater and faded Levi's. She wasn't wearing much makeup and looked too young to be a six-year bureau veteran. He tore his eyes away from the confusing sight and looked back at the computer screen. Apparently, neither do you, or you wouldn't be here at 9.30 in the evening. I was on my way home from dinner with a friend and saw the light burning in the office. Wondered what glutton for punishment was racking up the brownie points. That's all. She scooted closer. What you working on? He minimized the program. It's classified. Anel's eyes narrowed. Something for Dana. It's an X-Files related case, yes. Anel sighed and rolled her chair backwards a few paces. Ah, <sighs> see. He glanced at her, surprised by the weary tone. I thought you were a supporter of the X-Files project. Oh, I am. 
Anything that keeps Fox Mulder hanging around this building is okay in my book, she said with a wry grin. But I know where to draw the line between support and sycophancy. He glared at her. I'm doing my job. You're trying to impress Dana Scully. I'm trying to help two fellow agents solve a very important case. The computer made a small beeping noise. Pendrell turned to the screen, immediately focused. He maximized the program and saw the flashing dialog box on the screen. Match. Fox Mulder's apartment, 9.38 p.m. Look at that one. Mulder's finger brushed across the plastic sleeve protecting the photo of his sister at age 14, grinning at the camera to give the photographer a full view of her mouthful of braces. Always knew she was going to have to have braces. They looked much better on her than they did on me, Scully murmured, only glancing at the picture before she returned her gaze to Mulder's face. Watching him watch his sister grow up in photographs was one of the most incredible experiences of her life. Mulder was a pro at hiding his emotions behind a stony facade, but she had long since learned to decipher the smallest twitch of his lips or blink of his eyes. She had spent almost six years with this frustrating, endearing man, watching him struggle with his own demons as well as the lies and machinations of others. She'd watch him have his loyalty betrayed, his affections trampled, his faith undermined, but he'd never given up. Being his partner had often been more agony than ecstasy, but right now, right here, she was reaping her rewards. She was watching this man she adored, finding a moment of sheer joy. It didn't matter that darkness circled them with hungry eyes. It didn't matter that they would have to face the fact that Samantha was still missing. For this night, for this moment, Mulder was happy, and it was almost more than she could bear. God, she's beautiful, isn't she? He looked up at her, his eyes alight like a child. This is the boy who lost his sister, she realized. This is what he looked like. This is how he was before. She ached for him, knowing that more than just his sister had been stolen from him 24 years ago. Yes, she's very beautiful. She looks like pictures of mom when she was young. Mulder's eyes widened. Mom, she doesn't know. Do you think you should tell her? We still don't know where she is. The light went out of his eyes and she looked away, unable to bear the sight of sadness encroaching on his brief joy. You're right. No need to get her hopes up when we don't know. I just meant you should present Samantha to her in person. She too felt the growing weight of reality, but she struggled to keep hope foremost in her mind. They were closer than they'd ever been. They knew where she was just three weeks ago and they knew what she looked like. They knew the consortium was involved. Is that your phone? Scully looked up at Mulder's soft question. She did hear a soft trilling sound, she realized. She'd left her phone in the pocket of her coat, which she'd hung up to dry in Mulder's bathroom. She went to get it. Scully, Agent Scully, it's Alan Pendrell. I've got something. Her heart leapt with excitement. The logo? It's a discontinued trademark, was replaced three years ago. A company called Pink Pharmaceutical. Scully's stomach turned over. Why hadn't she figured that out herself? She'd seen firsthand Pink Pharmaceutical's treacherous alliance with the consortium. 
She'd seen the evidence destroyed in a Virginia prison incinerator. It could come as no surprise that Pink Pharmaceutical was also aligned with a monster like Ishimaru. I'm already running a full profile of the company, including its corporate structure and the location of its warehouses, Pendrell said. Great, Alan. I'll be there in a few minutes. She shut off her phone and turned, almost colliding with Mulder. What does he have? She told him what Pendrell had told her about Pink Pharmaceutical. His eyes darkened with anger and more than a little fear. And now the bastards have my sister. Pendrell's running a profile. I've got to change clothes and head to the office. Let me grab a coat. No, Mulder, you stay here. You haven't slept in days. You're out of your mind if you think I'm staying here, Scully. There's nothing you can do there, Mulder, that I can't do by myself. It's going to be a lot of paper pushing and keyboard pounding. Stay here. Look at the rest of the photos and maybe get some sleep. No, I'll bring the album with me and I'll stay out of your way if you want, but I'm not staying here. His chin jutted stubbornly. Don't expect me to. You wouldn't do it if it were your sister. Pain slashed through her chest and she dropped her eyes, not wanting him to see the sudden tears. Damn it. He made a hissing sound of frustration. I didn't mean it that way, Scully. She blinked away her tears and looked up at him. I know, and you're right. I wouldn't stay here if it were Melissa, but I'm driving. He nodded. I'll grab an umbrella while you change. He closed the bathroom door behind him. She stripped off the borrowed sweatsuit and dressed in the spare suit she'd packed for her trip to Charleston. It was a little rumpled, but she wasn't concerned about appearances. She slung the strap of her overnight bag over her shoulder and met Mulder in the living room. He was stuffing the photo album in a gym bag to carry with him. He hadn't taken the time to change from his black turtleneck sweater and faded jeans, but he donned a heavy overcoat and found an oversized umbrella for them to share. He handed over the keys to his car without having to be asked, holding the umbrella over her head until she was behind the wheel. He slid into the passenger seat, chuckling as they both reached down to readjust the seats. Not a word about my little feet, she warned, trying to ease the gut-wrenching anxiety that she knew they were both feeling. Wouldn't dream of it. His voice was soft with unspoken gratitude. He knew what she was trying to do. You want spooky, Fox Mulder? Spooky is how we have whole conversations without words. That's what's spooky. She had never in her life experienced the kind of communion she shared with her partner. He had changed her life. He continued changing it every day, every hour, every second. They had things to sort through when this was all over, but Scully didn't dwell on those questions as she took the quickest route to the Hoover Building. She thought instead about the incandescent joy she'd seen on her partner's face for one brief, shimmering moment. He'd seen a glimpse of his heart's desire, so close he could almost put out his hand and touch it. She wanted to give it back to him forever. She wanted to give him his heart's desire. Pendrell was waiting for them in the Psycrime Lab. A short, dark-haired girl with laughing brown eyes was with him, Scully noted with surprise. One of the Psycrime fingerprint experts, if her memory served her, Anna or something. She glanced at the ID tag attached to the waistband of the woman's jeans. And now Hollis. Scully looked up at Mulder. He didn't even seem to notice the other person's presence. He towered over Pendrell. What have you got? Pink Pharmaceuticals has warehouses across the U.S., Pendrell informed them, 
motioning for them to join him at the computer. Eugene, Denver, and San Diego in the west, Kansas City, Houston, and Detroit in the heartland, Tallahassee, Birmingham, and Memphis in the south, and Boston, Camden, and Rockville, Maryland in the east. Rockville? Mulder latched onto the nearest location. That's practically minutes away. Scully cut her eyes at the other woman in the room, wondering how much she knew and if she could be trusted. Mulder merely ignored her and pressed on. Where is the Rockville site? North of the city, a little over halfway to Gaithersburg. Let's go. Scully grabbed Mulder's arm. Mulder, we can't just trespass on private property. He turned on her, his eyes dark with anger. Damn it, Scully. This is no time to be prissy about the rules. This is Samantha, for God's sake. She clenched her jaw and stood her ground. I know that. I also know that if you go bursting in there like a maniac, you could get her killed. You expect me to just sit here? I expect you to put your feelings aside and use your head, Mulder. If you can't do that, I'm going to call Skinner right now and have him take you off the case. Now calm down and let's think this through rationally. She met his fierce gaze with deliberate calm although her own nerves were jangling wildly. She watched as he visibly regained control, felt him drawing on her strength as surely as if he'd reached inside her body and pulled out something tangible. Okay, okay. He raked his hand through his hair. He seemed to notice a now Hollis for the first time. Who are you? Agent Hollis. The dark-eyed woman didn't flinch beneath his dark gaze. Tough one, Scully thought, even if she did look like a kid. Shall I leave, or can I be of help? Mulder's eyes narrowed. What's your specialty? Fingerprints, but that's not the limit of my talents. I make a mean cup of coffee, and I'm not too proud to fetch and carry. Shall I? She glanced at Scully, as if expecting feminist backlash. Scully merely nodded. Thanks, Anel. That would be great. The woman left the room, and Scully turned back to Mulder and Pendrell. Mulder, I don't think that Pink Pharmaceutical would have Samantha at an active warehouse or distribution site. He and Pendrell both turned to look at her, their eyes widening with realization. Of course, you're right, Mulder said, looking a bit sheepish. I'm sorry, I should have thought of that. Pendrell looked even more mortified. What about defunct sites? Scully asked. I'm not sure they would be listed, Pendrell admitted. I can look. Please. Scully crossed to Mulder's side and put her hand on his arm, drawing him toward the corner while Pendrell entered the new data query. She lowered her voice. Mulder, I'm sorry I pulled a hard-ass act with you. He shook his head, cutting off her apology. Nothing I didn't need and deserve. Thanks for realizing that. She wanted to wrap her arms around him and hold him tight, reassure him that it was going to be all right. She settled for squeezing his hand gently before returning to Pendrell's side to see if he was having any luck. Psy Crime Lab, FBI Headquarters, 11.26 p.m. Mulder stretched his arms over his head to ease the cramping tension in his neck and shoulders. He felt Scully's gaze on him at his first movement. She was worried about him. The concern emanated from her in palpable ways. His feelings were still all jumbled and fragmented. He couldn't seem to get a good grip on anything. Was he happy? Sad? Angry? Afraid? He didn't know. Part of him was begging to just shut down, to close his eyes and let darkness swallow him. He was so tired. He hadn't slept well in a week, maybe longer. 
He'd certainly had no more than two or three hours of sleep a night for the past five days. Sheer exhaustion hovered at the edges of his consciousness like a descending fog. He couldn't keep going like this, but if he was lucky, maybe he wouldn't have to. Anything? He looked over Pendrell's shoulder at the screen. They'd done a universal search and come up with nothing, but Anna Hollis had suggested trying a commercial pharmacology homepage on the World Wide Web, and Pendrell had been weaving his way through link after link in search of any mention of pink pharmaceutical. The techie glanced over his shoulder at Mulder and shook his head. Nothing yet, but tons of sites yet to visit. Mulder, why don't you go home and try to get some sleep? Scully suggested. You're not really accomplishing anything here. No, Scully. He shook his head firmly. Well, at least take a break. We could get something to eat. I'll bet you skip dinner. He thought of the Thai food sitting in his refrigerator. What plans he'd had, he thought with a wry half-smile. I'm okay, Scully. I'm not going to starve. I could make a food run, Annelle suggested, pushing back from her computer where she was continuing the slow search of databases connected to the FBI network. No, you keep working, Annelle, Scully patted the younger woman's shoulder. I'll go get something for all of us. There's an all-night deli on New Hampshire. You want your usual, Mulder? He nodded, distracted by Pendrell's soft exclamation of satisfaction. What is it, Pendrell? Found an old pharmacology associate's newsletter that mentions pink pharmaceutical. Seems that they were working on a serum to treat Marburg and Ebola. Any link to the rest of Monkey House? Annelle asked. Mulder and Pendrell both turned to look at her. Her dark brows arched slightly. I've read the hot zone, she defended. Pendrell turned back to the computer screen. The newsletter just mentions unidentified test sites along the East Coast. Maybe we can cross-link with Ebola or Marburg, Mulder suggested. I have a file at home. I started compiling on infectious diseases after the Cumberland prison outbreak, Mulder. Scully crossed to his side, putting her hand on his shoulder. Her touch was warm, reassuring. All the other evidence was lost in that case, but I thought maybe if I pieced together what I knew with some research I did. He looked up at her, tenderness mingling with deep pride inside him. His Scully, the stickler for proof, always managed to come through for him when he needed it most. Anything on pink pharmaceutical? A few things. It's been a while since I looked at the files. I could go get them, grab some food while I'm at it. He nodded. Want me to come with you? She shook her head. Nah, stay here and bug Pendrell. Pendrell grinned up at her over his shoulder. Damned little eager puppy, Mulder thought. Scully slid her fingernails lightly across his shoulder toward his neck. Her fingernails rasped lightly against the side of his neck, shooting prickles through his body. His eyes darkened slightly as she met his gaze. He swallowed with difficulty. She withdrew her hand and turned toward the door. He watched her go, his breath trapped in his chest. I've just cross-referenced Reston and there's nothing connecting to pink. And now Hollis's low southern drawl broke the spell. He took a slow, deep breath and looked at her. Her brown eyes laughed at him, and he felt like he was standing naked in the middle of traffic. He frowned slightly, making her eyes dance even more. I could try Fort Dietrich, but a lot of that's going to be restricted. He looked away from her knowing smile and nodded. Try it anyway. At this point, he didn't care if he had to hack into every computer in the Pentagon. He sat bolt upright. Damn it. Why hadn't he thought of them? 
He grabbed the phone on the desk in front of him and punched in a number. Two rings later, Langley answered. Lone gunman, turn off the tape. Scully retrieved the dossier on Pink Pharmaceutical from its hiding place in the lockbox at the back of her closet. Too impatient to wait, she opened the file and looked over it while she called in a sandwich order at an all-night diner down the street from her apartment. The file was more clinical than investigatory. She'd put much more effort into charting the disease she'd be held at Cumberland Prison than into proving Pink Pharmaceutical's complicity in the outbreak and the company's connection to Cancer Man and his cronies. That was Mulder's part of their partnership. She did find an article she pulled off the internet regarding Pink Pharmaceutical's purchase of the Rockville distribution site. Pink had bought the property and the existing structure, which had been a grocery warehouse, in March of 1995. In passing, the blurb mentioned a viral outbreak among lab animals at one of the company's drug research facilities. The article didn't mention the location of the hot site, only that the facility had been shut down in early August 1994 and never reopened. August 1994. Scully's cell phone burred and she shut the file. Scully, hi, it's me. She tried to temper a surge of excitement. Do you have something? Not yet. I've got the guys at the gunmen checking some of their sources. Oh, we should have thought of them right away. He didn't speak for a moment, and she wondered if she'd lost the connection. Mulder? Just not used to your talking nicely about the boys. She smiled at the phone. Like you said before, Mulder, this is Samantha. If I thought the stupendous Yappy might give us a clue, I'd dial his 1-900 number in a heartbeat. Any luck at your end? Just a confirmation that Pink was doing virology research at an unnamed facility that was later shut down after a viral outbreak among the lab animals. Any connection? She hesitated, wondering if she was as guilty of leaping to conclusions as she often accused Mulder of being. But the timing was strange. Scully? The Pink virology research site was shut down in early August, 1994. He didn't say anything for a long moment but she could hear the soft, whispery sound of his breathing. There's probably no connection, she began. In your hypnosis session, you mentioned being taken somewhere after you were removed from the train. Could it have been a research facility? The muscles of her shoulders tightened and she could almost see a door closing in her mind. I don't know. I don't remember any of what I said under hypnosis, Mulder. I told you that. She felt her stomach twisting and her pulse rate quickening. I don't, I don't want to remember, she realized. I don't want to know. Her mind was fighting memory, struggling to hold back the full horror she'd gone through. That was why she was suddenly so tense, wasn't it? It wasn't anxiety for Samantha or concern for Mulder. It was fear, terror, Scully. She cleared her throat, tried to calm her suddenly ragged breathing. I ordered some sandwiches. I'll, I'll pick them up and be there in a little bit. Maybe buyers will have something for you by then. She hung up without saying goodbye, afraid her burgeoning fear would add to his own anxiety. Outside, the rain had stopped and the temperature was beginning to plunge. A sharp wind was already drying the streets and driving late-night stragglers behind doors. Scully stopped briefly to pick up her sandwich order and rushed back to the car, shivering as the icy wind lifted her hair and crept beneath the collar of her coat. 
she cranked up the heat and headed for New Hampshire Avenue. She had gone almost five miles before she realized she was headed away from D.C. She blinked, surprised that she could have been so distracted. She pulled off the main strip and was about to turn around when she saw the sign at the edge of the parking lot where she turned. Best Buy Food Mart. It was an insignificant sign, one she'd probably seen a thousand times over the past few years. It was yellow with bold blue letters rimmed in red. The sign was illuminated from within, but one of the bulbs inside was apparently blown, for the left side of the sign was significantly dimmer than the right side. And Scully remembered. Night. Dark. Thick. Heavy. Cold. She was so cold. Cold and hurting. She ached everywhere. She was dying. Scully put her car in park and slumped against the seat, shivering. Oh, God. She remembered. She was in the back of a vehicle, like an ambulance, but no sirens, no attendants. Maybe it was a hearse. Maybe she was already dead. A soft tap on her window startled her, and she jerked upright, her heart slamming against her ribcage. She stared up into the face of a night guard. Are you okay, lady? he asked, his voice muffled by the car window. She nodded. Fine, she managed to say. Are you lost? She shook her head. No, I'm fine. She put her car into drive and pulled back onto New Hampshire Avenue, still headed out of D.C. She kept driving east toward the Beltway. She took the Beltway to Washington Baltimore Boulevard following her memories. She had been strapped on a gurney, held immobile, but she had been able to see through the tinted windows of the vehicle. She had seen the flash of signs, trees, and buildings, heard the noise of traffic. Her cell phone rang, making her jump. Her hands jerked on the steering wheel, making her car swerve slightly toward the other lane. Fortunately, traffic was light, and Scully regained control without incident. She opened her cell phone. Scully, where are you? Washington Baltimore Boulevard headed toward Baltimore. Baltimore? Mulder's voice sounded choked. Why? I remembered something. A chill was creeping up her back, outdistancing the heat pouring through the car's vents. Scully, listen, me, buyer, something. Mulder's voice faded into static. Scully shut off her phone and tried to dial him back, but she couldn't get through. Her phone rang twice in the next 20 minutes, but when she answered, she heard only static. She was driving past the National Agricultural Research Facility in Fort Meade. Maybe the government facilities were causing problems with her cell phone. It wouldn't be the first time. As she neared the Baltimore-Washington International Airport, a jet coming in for landing passed overhead, its roar like an echo of the past, and she remembered how it had felt to lie in the back of that vehicle years earlier, drifting in and out of consciousness only long enough to be afraid. She had known where she was. They hadn't bothered to hide it from her, and she'd feared that it meant they had no intention of returning her alive. Her heart clenched at the memory of her terror, the horrible certainty that she was never going to see her family again, never going to see Mulder. Her cell phone rang again, jarring her back to the present. She realized tears were trickling down her cheeks. She wiped them away and reached for her phone. Scully, Scully, where are you? She heard a rumbling sound through the earpiece and realized that Mulder was in a car. She glanced at the road sign. 
about ten minutes out of Baltimore. I'm headed your way now. I'm probably ten or fifteen minutes behind you now. Listen, Byers found something. She barely registered his remark as she changed lanes on instinct, heading for a turnoff. Scully, did you hear me? She took the right-hand turn before she spoke. Yeah, Byers found something? He found a conspiracy journal article about Pink Pharmaceuticals' shutdown of its virology research facility. It's just outside Baltimore, isn't it? Mulder paused a beat before answering. Yes, on Alvarado Parkway. She glanced at a street marker as she passed. I'm on Alvarado. Scully, what the hell? I was there, Mulder. I was at that facility. It wasn't shut down because of a viral outbreak. It was shut down to accommodate my captors. There was testing going on there, Mulder, and it may well have been viral research, but the test subjects weren't animals. A shudder racked her body. Scully, pull off and wait for me. Don't go to that warehouse. She crested a small rise and found herself staring at a sprawling two-story warehouse. Mulder, I'm there. The warehouse was at the edge of a manufacturing area, far enough apart from the warehouses further down the road to be safe from prying eyes. Not so secluded that it would excite curiosity, the warehouse was the perfect place for sins to be hidden in plain sight. A faded for sale sign stood at a crooked angle in the grassy shoulder between the road and the outer edge of the parking lot. Scully doubted the building had excited the interest of buyers. Who would buy a facility where a deadly virus had broken out? She pulled her car off the road onto the shoulder and extinguished the headlights. Mulder's voice buzzed in her ear. Scully, get away from there. Go back down the road and wait for me. Do you hear me? She eyed the warehouse, wondering how she could make a stealthy approach. The front opened on the parking lot. No way to sneak up there, but the back butted up to a wooded area. Maybe if she parked at one of the warehouses down the road and backtracked. Damn it, Scully, listen to me. Movement outside the pink warehouse distracted her attention. Dark figures emerged from the warehouse with the speed and precision of a coordinated team. Five or six, maybe more. They darted across the front lawn of the warehouse and loaded into a black van parked nearby. The van jerked into gear before the side door was shut. Mulder, several people just left the warehouse in one hell of a hurry. She watched the red taillights of the van disappear over the rise. I'm on my way, Scully. Mulder, there are no other cars here now. I'm going to try to take a look around. No, Scully. She was already out of her car and across the road, led by an overwhelming sense of urgency. Something was wrong. Something horrible. She couldn't sit still. I'm going in, Mulder. I think Samantha is in there. Scully, damn it! She hung up the phone and tucked it in her pocket, realizing she needed both hands free. The night was dark, clouds obscuring the moon. Down Alvarado, street lamps lit the night, but here at the warehouse, all the lights were closer to the building. She squelched the sense of vulnerability and darted closer, driven by feelings she didn't understand and couldn't take time to analyze. Her phone trilled, and she almost shut it off, but she took pity on Mulder and answered, Damn it, Scully, don't you dare hang up on me. Where are you? Outside the warehouse. I'm about 20 yards from a side entrance. Suddenly, a deafening crash split the air, and seconds later, Scully was slammed backwards as if hit by an invisible truck. Her cellular phone flew from her hand and laddered with a clatter on a concrete walkway 15 feet away. It skidded to a stop, 
its glass front display reflecting the flickering yellow column of flames that shot into the night sky from the heart of the darkened warehouse. From the cracked earpiece, Fox Mulder's frantic voice screamed Scully's name, the cry swallowed by the hiss and roar of conflagration. 1.11 a.m. She was awake. Not fully, the edges of her vision were gray and blurry, but for the first time since she'd been grabbed and chloroformed in the alley behind Garnham's Pita Bakery, Sarah Chandler was conscious. She was conscious of almost everything, who she had been for the last 22 years of her life, as well as who she had been for the first eight years of her life. There were gaps, but she knew enough to know that she was in serious danger. She smelled smoke. She felt the growing heat that drove away the chill of the darkness. She had to get out. She could barely move. Her body felt numb, nerveless, but she was alone in the room. No one could stop her, but no one could help her either. She thought of her parents, the Chandlers, she corrected with a crinkle of her forehead, the only parents she'd known for 22 years. It had been over a year since she'd seen them and they'd parted in anger. Now she wondered if she'd ever see them again, or her real parents, Bill and Caroline Mulder. Were they even alive? Did they remember her? Fox. She whispered his name into the silence, her voice little more than breath. He was still alive. She knew where he was, where to find him. She had a picture of him. She remembered wondering why she had been so drawn to that photograph in her scrapbook. Now she understood. Fox, so handsome. She'd never have guessed he'd turn out so well. He'd always been a geeky boy. Weak tears trickled down her cheeks. Too many thoughts paralyzing her brain. She needed to move, needed to get out of here. She gathered her strength and heaved forward, trying to sit up. She succeeded only in tumbling from her gurney to the floor, banging her chin in the process. Pain jarred from her head to her toe, and she crumpled to the floor, weeping. Hands touched her shoulders, and she instinctively recoiled. I'm here to help you. The voice was warm, female. The hands were strong but gentle as they drew her to her feet. A steady arm circled her waist, keeping her standing. You've got to help me, Sarah. Samantha, she murmured. I'm Samantha Mulder. She tried to lift her face to look at her rescuer, but all her strength was focused on keeping her feet. Samantha, the voice was in her ear, strong and soothing. The arm around her waist propelled her forward. They went through a door. Smoke surrounded them, gray and thick. Samantha coughed. Her rescuer tightened her grip and half dragged her around a corner. There was a cracking sound and fire flashed in front of Samantha's eyes. Next to her, she heard a scream of pain and the grip on her waist loosened. Samantha crumpled to the floor. Near the floor, the smoke wasn't as dense. Samantha drew in deep breaths of the fresher air and tried to move. She felt a hand close over her wrist. Are you okay? The voice was tight with pain, yet strong with determination. I think so. Samantha peered through the smoke, trying to see her rescuer. It was a woman. 
the warehouse was too dark for her to make out colors or features, and even if she could, the woman's hand covered the right side of her face and soot marred the left side. The back of the woman's hand was also blackened. She'd been burned. Yet she had strength enough to lift Samantha with her free hand, drawing her back to her feet. We can't rest, the woman half dragged Samantha forward. Samantha stumbled along with her, trying to do her part. Oddly, her exertions were making her feel stronger rather than weaker. I think there's a side exit near here. Samantha's eyes and lungs burned from the smoke. She was still a little groggy. The corridors through which they were making their way seemed to twist and turn like a maze. She could see little, but what she could make out looked like a warehouse, but one far more complex and labyrinthine than any she had ever seen. Suddenly, a shout split the air, and Samantha's rescuer froze, drawing her back against the wall of the corridor. 1.21 a.m. Mulder pushed the borrowed Buick to its limits, flooring the accelerator and weaving his way around the light traffic on Washington-Baltimore Boulevard. The turnoff was in sight. Mulder put down the cell phone long enough to take the curve at way too high a speed, then grabbed the phone again, listening. He only heard the hiss-crackle sound of static. Or fire. By his watch, only a minute passed before he saw the column of smoke rising into the night sky. It felt like more. An orange glow brightened the darkness, and he pressed the accelerator until the Buick shimmied and bucked. He topped the rise and saw the warehouse ahead, its heart engulfed in flames. No thought of stealth crossed his mind. He swung into the parking lot and barely jerked the car in park before he was out the door and running toward the burning building. Halfway down the walk, his foot hit something and he skidded, tumbling to the grass and hitting flat on his solar plexus. His breath exploded from his lungs and he writhed with pain, trying to suck in air. He managed to crawl to his hands and knees, managed to find what had impeded his progress. Scully's phone. He looked up at the warehouse, saw how the flames had tripled just since he first came into view of the inferno. And he knew without a doubt that Scully was in there looking for his sister. No, God, no, please. Scully would risk her life to give Samantha back to him. He had known that years ago when he had kept from her the identity of the woman on the bridge. He had known instinctively that she would never choose her own life over that of his sister. It was the kind of woman she was, the kind of friend and partner she was. And now? He pushed to his feet and weaved an unsteady but purposeful path toward the burning warehouse. Scully! Scully heard her name. She pulled up short, recognizing Mulder's voice. So soon? She felt torn. Samantha was in here somewhere. She knew it with a certainty she had not felt for years, the same certainty that had convinced her that Mulder would return to her side and rejoin her in their search for truth. She just knew. Sarah! Her shout was a hoarse croak. She'd been inhaling a lot of smoke over the last few minutes. Too much smoke. She was already wheezing, already feeling lightheaded. The warehouse was a maze corridor building on corridor, made all the more impenetrable by the haze of smoke and the urgency of passing time. If Samantha had been held in the central part of the warehouse, she was already lost. 
Whatever explosive device had been used to blow up the warehouse had included an incendiary. She could smell the fumes of accelerant, reminding her of the Cecil Lively case. Thank God Mulder was afraid of fire. That should make him think twice before coming in here after them. Scully! God, his voice was closer than before. Was he coming in? No, she couldn't let him come in here. Mulder, stay out there! Her voice was weak, scratchy. A coughing fit seized her, made her grab at the wall to steady herself. Scully! She had to go back. If she didn't go back and stop him, he would come in here and they would all be lost. She turned and began to retrace her steps toward the door. Raven bit her lip and ignored the pain screaming down the right side of her face and neck. She had shielded Samantha Mulder from the rain of burning debris at her own risk, the instinct of the soldier, protect and defend. But she wasn't a soldier anymore, and she had more pressing matters to deal with than the life of one woman. She had done her duty. Samantha Mulder was within reach of salvation, and Raven had already sacrificed enough to bring her to this point. She could wait no longer to make her own escape, and she didn't have time to be encumbered by Samantha Mulder. She stopped and positioned Samantha against a wall. Up ahead, billowing smoke denoted where the side exit door was to be found. There's the exit, she told Samantha, pointing toward the opening. I can't help you anymore. It's up to you to follow me. She didn't wait to make sure Samantha understood. There was no more time. She fled through the door into the night. Cold air hit her wound like fresh fire, and she almost screamed. But her training had taught her much about self-preservation. Stealth was her only hope, and there was too much open ground between the warehouse and the safety of the woods for her to take risks. She bit her lip until it bled, focusing all thought on the sharp metallic taste filling her mouth. She staggered into the woods and found shelter. The pain was gut-wrenching. She vomited, and the exertion increased the pain until she felt as if her body were one huge, swollen, throbbing nerve. She had to find shelter, had to find help. But there was no one to turn to now. One look at the burn on her face, and Carter would know. They would all know. She had severed all ties tonight. All for the sake of a woman she'd never met and would probably never see again. She pushed to her feet and weaved through the woods to where she had hidden her rental car, counting steps to divert her mind from the pain and from her growing sense of isolation and vulnerability. Nobility, she mused, is severely overrated. Mulder reached the front door of the warehouse. It was open a crack. Smoke curled around the edges. He touched the handle and found it hot. Suddenly, the door burst open, slamming him backwards. He stumbled, but managed to keep his feet as the small, suit-covered figure hit him at a full run. He curled his arms around here. Scully! Scully's eyes were frantic. Run, Mulder! She jerked away from his embrace, dragging him behind her with surprising strength. It's rigged to blow again, she wheezed, stumbling as her feet left the concrete walk and hit the grass. Mulder took over wrapping his arm around her waist and half carrying her with him as he ran as far from the warehouse as he could. But when the second explosion hit, they were close enough to feel the concussion. The compressed wall of air hit Mulder in the back and knocked them both sprawling. 
When his head cleared, Mulder looked back at the warehouse. It was nothing but flame. In the distance, the wail of sirens split the air, barely audible over the roar of the warehouse fire. Beside him, Scully was a knot of warmth tucked against his ribcage. Instinctively, he gathered her up and held her tightly, letting the feel of her ease the worst of his raging fear. She's safe, she's safe, she's safe, oh God, she's safe. But as his fear subsided, his grief swelled, unquenchable. It filled him, drenched him, surged through him. He thought it might be the only thing holding him upright. He whispered the name imprinted on his heart, Samantha. Scully pressed her face against his throat. He felt her hot tears dripping down his neck. I'm sorry, she whispered, her voice a faint rasp. He closed his eyes, swallowing convulsively. His muscles bunched on instinct, screaming at him to get off his ass and plunge into the heart of the fire. Samantha was in there. She needed him. But if she was in there, she was dead. There, he'd thought the words. Samantha was dead, and even though there was a dark allurement in the thought of sacrificing himself to that same fire that had finally taken her from him, he resisted, trapped in the strong grip of his partner's arms. If he went into the fire, Scully would follow. She would die rather than give him up to death. She'd proved that more than once. And he would not be the cause of her death, too. Maybe she's not in there. Scully voiced the hope, but he could tell she believed otherwise. He brushed her hair away from her face, wiping away smudges of soot. Through a blur of tears, he read the anguish in her expression, her own sense of guilt and loss. He couldn't bear the sight of it. He looked away over her shoulder toward the warehouse fire and saw movement. Scully looked up at him, betraying her surprise as his arms tightened around her. What is it? It was movement, slow, unsteady, a dark figure moving away from the fire, silhouetted against the blaze. He could tell only that it was human, tall, slender, slight, female, longish hair lifted by the wind. He pushed to his feet, pulling Scully with him. He heard Scully's gasp and knew she had seen the figure too. He ran forward a few steps, Scully keeping pace at his side. But as the figure grew more distinct, as she stepped into a puddle of light from one of the lamps illuminating the parking lot, as her features were finally revealed to him, he faltered. It was too much. Too much. Scully paused with him, looking up into his face, searching his expression. He met her gaze, his wide eyes telling her what she wanted to know. She turned and ran toward the woman. Mulder lagged behind, his body suddenly unresponsive to the urgings of his whirling mind. He watched Scully gather the woman into the protection of her arms, watched the two women close the distance between him and them. He saw the light of recognition in a pair of hazel eyes, so like his very own. Fox? A band of tension snapped inside him, and he lurched forward, arms outstretched. He whispered her name and gathered her up into his embrace. After 25 years, Fox Mulder had finally found his sister.
If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>